right. This is episode one of uh, what Jokers at the Square Jokers of the Square <laughs> Table. Damn, we don't even know our name. Uh, it might not even be our name. We'll uh, we'll see what happens down the road. Yeah, but, uh, it's right a now we're gonna go with Jokers of the Square Table. Yeah, I'm your uh, guide. One of your guides, I guess. I'm Tyler. And I'm Megan, and I'm, I guess, your other guide, your co-guide. We're going we're gonna to guide you to some history on some shit we like. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, we're going to start out today talking about uh, baseball. Since motherfucking pitchers and catchers report in like a week, two weeks? Yeah, from recording this, which we are recording on Friday. February uh, the 7th? Yep. 2020. Yep. That um, is 20 to y'all. Yeah, may, we might have this uploaded. By March? Yeah, sometime <laughs> eventually. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. The last three pilots we've recorded have gone nowhere. Or two or three. I, don't, I lost count at this point. I think it was three, but that's okay. Anyway. Practice makes perfect. Exactly. Anyway, we're going to talk about some baseball today. A little bit of the history, where it came from, and how it got to where it is now. Uh, so if you're a baseball fan, definitely hang around. If you're not a baseball fan, um, maybe we'll make you one. If yeah. not, you're not American. <laughs> damn, exactly. Damn Fuck communist. <laughs> um, and we might get drunk, or at least I might get drunk. While doing it. That sounds like a plan. Um, I want to know what got you into baseball, Tyler. Why are you a fan? Um, that's a great question. Well, my dad always pulled for the Braves growing up. My grandfather pulled for the Braves. But I can't say that's why I'm into baseball. I, it's just something I fell in love with it at a young age. Just a game that I could play. I was good at it. Um, sorry, that's my dog. He's having having a little conniption over a bone right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was just something I could I could play. I was good at it even from a young age, and it I think that's part of the part of my love for it is that anybody can go out there and play it. You don't have to be LeBron or Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning or anybody. You can just look at Prince Fielder and Bartolo Colon. Like they're fat dudes out there at the highest level. You know, so what about you? Um, I uh, got into baseball uh, with my dad. Um, so my parents divorced. And one of the things my dad would always do uh, when he had me on his weekends is we would go to baseball games a lot. We always went and saw the Rockies at Coors Field. That's awesome. And Coors Field became like a second home to me. And I just fell in love with the sport. And yeah, I just loved everything about it. How close did you live to the stadium? Like, was it a was it an hour drive, or were you like in Denver? We were right outside Denver, um, in Aurora. <laughs> Shout out to the theater shooting! Yay, Batman! <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe it's too soon. <laughs> um, so we lived in Aurora. It was about like a twenty thirty minute drive um, to the field. I cannot imagine that because I grew up in North Carolina, and the nearest team was Atlanta four hours away oh that would suck yeah so i we'd go down every few years to catch a game maybe two. Oh no no just living down here has definitely hurt my love of baseball um because i can't go to as many games as i went to in colorado like i went to more games in colorado than i didn't go to if that makes sense I can relate because if I lived in Atlanta, I would 100% have season tickets yeah. to the Braves. Yeah. 
Yeah, my dad, uh, we didn't have season tickets, but my dad is a, or was a salesman for a big uh, construction equipment company. And so his clients had season tickets because they were loaded. And so we, we used their season tickets. Again, my dog, Bohannon, being his lovely self. Anyway, so now I will I will throw it out there that we are in Charlotte, which is home of the Charlotte Knights, uh, the AAA team to the White Sox. And do you go to those games at all? Um, I want to. I tend to always be working when they're happening. Um, my, well, I would like to go to one of the bark in the parks where you can bring your dog. Um, I just haven't been able to request off during those days yet. But that is my, my goal, I'll say, for this year, this upcoming season. I'm going to do that. Did I, uh, not, to, not to brag, but did I show you pictures of Bo and Milo at Park at the Park last no, year? No, you didn't. Oh, I'll have to show you that after, oh, after we get done. Oh, my goodness. Let's just say they were both very good boys. Oh, good boys. The goodest boys. The bestest. Anyway, um, before we get too much further off topic, do you have any idea how baseball started? It's got a long, complicated history in America. And honestly, it's one of those, it's always been it's as old as America itself in a way. Um, I thought I knew where baseball got started until I started researching this podcast. And then I realized I know jack shit about where baseball got started. What did you think it was? I'm curious. Um, so I had always heard that uh, Abner Doubleday was the father of modern baseball, a Civil War hero, and that he had invented it, basically. That's just what I'd grown up knowing, and I never really questioned it. Interesting. I see. I'm, I've never been one for history. I just accept it. It's all it. It is, and it's always been. <laughs> who cares who created it? It just is. It had to start somewhere, though. It did. So apparently, the Abner Doubleday thing, as you said, is the common myth of how it started, but it's not actually how it started. Yes. Realistically, the origins are unknown, and it's sort of. An evolution, at least what I found, was kind of a hybrid between the British game rounders and cricket, and it shaped itself into what was known as town ball back in the uh, revolutionary time. It became very popular by 1800 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I had uh, read as well. And I'd, I'd heard of cricket before. I'd never heard of rounders. That was totally new concept. Really? Yes, I had no idea what in the world that was. I've gotten into debates with British people and about baseball, and they just say, ah, it's just ripped off rounders. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible British accent. <laughs> Suddenly they were not even close to a British accent. Let me try that again. It's, it's just ripped off rounded. Nope, that's all straight. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> Apparently my accents are broken today. Oh, uh, let's offend everyone who listens to this podcast. Um, yep, we're going to offend people. Or at least I am. I apologize in advance, kind of. Not really. Yep, nope. <laughs> um, so, I've got here in my notes that the first team, official team, was the New York Knickerbockers, and they were formed in 1845 by a gentleman named Alexander Joy Cartwright. Yes, that is what I have as well. Um, And I have that they played their first official game in 1846, a year later. Um, Yeah, they played down uh, in New Jersey, actually. Even though they were the New York Knickerbockers, I see the tradition stands of being a New York team, but playing in Jersey. There's just not enough room in New York. Even even back then, Manhattan was just not 
Not a good place to hit a ball with a stick. I guess so. It reminds me of the old uh, Hey Arnold episode where they're playing baseball and it's like in between two buildings and they've got like a trash can lid for second and somebody hits it through one of the tiniest windows on the building. <laughs> I love that show. That show was amazing. Yeah, it's definitely a big part of my childhood. Um, so, yeah, their first game was June 19th, 1846. It was the New York Knickerbockers versus a local cricket team. Mm-hmm. And guess who won? I would like to say the Knickerbockers won. They got slaughtered. Yeah, they were murdered. 23 to 1 by oh, the cricket team. God. Congratulations, now, British people. So, yeah, there was also the, um, uh, I remember reading something else about Alexander Joy Cartwright. Uh, supposedly, he was the person that set the bag or the bases at 90 feet. Mm-hmm. And home plate at 60 feet, 6 inches. And then I, I kind of read some contradictory information that that was just uh you know just kind of a urban legend as well i i'd read the same thing um i'd like to think that it it was true um i didn't write down where i heard them saying uh that if he had said it like 88 feet it would be a completely different game so you know yeah i i watched that same video and i remember that bit as well and it's true if you really think about it, if you're a baseball fan you know, how how did they get that magic number of 90 feet? Because if you think about, you know, 88 feet and so many plays are changed, 92 feet and, you know, so many, it, it, it's just one of those impressive, impressive things. Bo. Happy accident. Bo, you got to get out of here, dude. I can hear you breathing in the mic. Come on, come lay down. Yeah. I'm sure you want to hear my dog going, <laughs> And now barking. Anyway, my dog's yep. not listening as, as, as you know, it goes. Anyway, he is probably going to be a lovable character on this show just to come around and annoy everybody from time to time. <laughs> Did he just sneeze? Uh, I think, I think that was Navy. <laughs> oh, well, that was my dog then who just sneezed. Okay. Uh, all right. So, but let's see, where were we? All right. So, um, so you got, uh, Alexander... Jay Cartwright and the Knickerbockers in New York getting their asses handed to them by the local cricket team. Yep. Um, So that was in 1846. It kind of gets a little obscure from there. It wasn't really organized. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the 1850s, I almost said the 50s, like it was 1950. In 1850s, it appears that Cartwright just kind of said, fuck you, New York. I'm out. And he traveled across the country and spread the game. He took his knickerbockers with him, and they spread the game across the country. In 1856, we've got a gentleman by the name of Henry Chadwick. And ah. and a lot, a lot of baseball, a lot of baseball is owed to uh, just its entire legacy and whatnot is owed to Henry Chadwick yes. because yes. he came up with a way of keeping uh, stats player stats team stats and box scores and ultimately if you really sit there and think about it he i I think he established the first first news column as well and uh it basically if you really think about it with with the stats 
it allows you and I to have a conversation with our grandparents. Yeah. And, and it puts us on even ground. You know, we can compare, you know, let's just say my grandparents watch Jackie Robinson coming into mm-hmm. the league and I'm watching Chipper Jones and we can put the two on the same same levels yeah and compare with the same stats yeah and and you know there are certain aspects of baseball that are you can't change for instance you can't compare the steroid era to the dead ball era but i mean if you say somebody hit 400 for their career that tells you something regardless of what era they were in yeah definitely without a doubt so oh Oh, Henry Chadwick. We owe baseball owes a lot to him just yes. for um, just for the continuation. Yes, I, I would argue that Chadwick is the father of baseball because uh, of the way he was able to come up with uh, the stats and uh, everything that we we still use today. So he he created you know um, batting averages and run averages and all sorts of. Stuff. Yeah, the, the entire box score he was yeah. responsible for. Um, let's see here. In 1858, I've got it jotted down. That's the first time spectators were had to pay to watch a game, which is oh. kind of notice, notable, I guess. Yeah. Um, How much did they have to pay? Did it? I don't have that jotted down. I would imagine they paid it to. I do remember they paid uh, not to the teams. It was to the owner of the field where they were playing, which makes sense. You got a lot of people standing around, probably tearing up this guy's field. Yeah, back in an agricultural time. Um, so as I said a little bit earlier, uh, old Cartwright was uh, making his way around the country with his knickerbockers. And uh, ended up establishing, not him personally, but clubs, baseball clubs were established in cities all over the country. And uh, it was led by him and uh, by old, uh, not Chad, but Cartwright and the Knickerbrockers. And these teams went on to form the National Association of Baseball Players. Yes. Which pretty much got this ragtag group of it seemed like every town had their own set of rules and their own spin on the game, so to speak. And this brought them together. It unified them under one rule, one set of rules, essentially. And some of the rules uh, added umpires to the game, determined it was supposed to be an amateur sport. No player was ever supposed to be paid. Really? That did not last very long, apparently. No, um, I did not know that. And it also eliminated some of the more... Uh, the word that comes to mind is jovial aspects of the game, like players catching the ball with their hats and yeah. that sort of thing. It made it more tighten up the rules a little bit. You mean we can't hit people with balls anymore when they're running? I mean, you can. It's just not an out. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that was a rule of town ball. Uh, originally, was you threw the ball at the runner, which... I think would be amazing because if you got one <laughs> hell of a jump or a dodge or a slide or something and that ball went flying in the outfield, you could really get somewhere. Yeah, you could, but you could also get get dead. No, no, I've been hit with I've been hit with plenty of baseballs. Ain't going ain't going dead you. 
Um, so to continue that train of thought, uh, or to get back on topic, in 1861, 62 clubs had joined the National Association of Baseball Players. And there goes the dogs. So during the Civil War, um, a lot of a lot of the downtime was spent playing baseball by both armies, North yes. and South. Yes. I believe it was the uh, northern armies uh, that would bring the game, and I think they taught a lot of the southern armies what it was, if I was reading the right thing. I believe I do recall seeing something along those lines. Um, one one key thing that I, you know, researched during the Civil War was that up until that point, baseball had very much been the, I, I hate to use this word, but the privileged A rich game. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was like you're rowing, mm-hmm. you know, your, your Winklevosses and, you know, the rich folk played it yeah. and baseball brought it to the common, or baseball, the civil war brought baseball to the common man. This is another thing that I found interesting that even even like the civil war is obviously you know ended slavery and whatnot but even after the civil war black teams were kept out of the uh the national association of baseball players which yeah. you know is one of those head scratchers why why you know and it's ironic that it would take uh hell i don't remember when jackie robinson broke the color barrier in the 60s 50s 60s I think it has to be in the 60s because of the civil rights civil rights movement, which ironically, uh, Jackie Robinson was not the first black baseball player. Was he not? He was not. Okay. We'll we'll talk about that later. All right. Interesting. Um, so I am going to mention uh, we're going to we're going to kind of keep most of the folks uh, going to a little little bit of history on key persons, key people, persons. Um, I can't talk today. We're going to uh, talk about some key people towards the end, but I am going to mention this guy just because I don't have too much else on him real quick. Okay. His name is uh, Candy Cummings. Candy. Uh, yep, his name is uh, William. His nickname was Candy Cummings. He was the uh, first feller to throw the ball and make it curve. What? Yep. Up until this point, the pitcher was not supposed to be a factor in the game he was not a weapon he was supposed to simply get the ball to the plate and let the hitter hit and the fielders were supposed to field the pitcher was not an attacking entity i guess all right candy cummings was the first one to say no motherfucker (laughs) i'm coming after your pumpy dog ass and uh so he's the first one that curved the curveball or that threw the curveball and people were pissed. Oh, yeah. It was outlawed. And guess what everybody did? <laughs> no, we don't care. We're going to do it anyway. Yep. We're going <laughs> to throw that curveball because fuck you. <laughs> fuck the man. Did you get anything on Harry Wright? I do not think I wrote anything on All Harry right. Wright down. So. Tell me about him. Harry Wright <clears throat> in 18 and 69. Nice. Established. The Cincinnati Red Stockings, not to be confused with the Cincinnati Reds of today. Okay. Quite honestly, it might be the same team. I'm not sure. <laughs> a long way back. Anyway, uh, he established the Cincinnati Red Stockings 
which was the first professional team that paid its players. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, big time. Yeah, that's baseball, not... according to the uh, National Association of Baseball Players, is an amateur's game. Yeah, that's not good. Um, ironically, Harry Wright, the guy that started it, was a former New York Knickerbocker. Oh. So he's from, he's an OG. He's from back in the day. Yeah. Um, what he did was he got the red stockings and had them traveling via the Continental Railroad, playing in various towns. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Wright took his teams in 1870. They had been on a winning streak. I, I think it was 26 games. Dear God. They had won 26 straight games dating all the way back to 1869. All right. Nice. Yeah. And they um, played the athletics okay. in 1870. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Athletics, the Atlantics. I can't read. They played the Atlantics in 1870, and through nine innings, they were tied. Oh. And they said they could end it and call it a tie, and old Harry Wright said, no, my boys is good enough. We're going to keep playing until we're going to win. And they lost. (laughs) They lost the first extra inning game. They decided they would put no time limit on it. It was until the first, or the... Home team won, or was the home team <laughs> batted, and whoever was, when it wasn't tied, whoever was leading after the home team had batted last won. There we go. That's how, that's yeah, how that, that sounds. Words don't work in my head. <laughs> um, and that was honestly a huge, huge blow for right and the red stockings because the fans just completely lost interest in that i bet can you imagine and saying now we're gonna keep going because we're good enough we're gonna win and then being like especially after you've won you know a winning streak going back to the previous year yeah god that would that would be heartbreaking uh after this loss Wright decided he was gonna move he was gonna move the red stockings to boston all right and he was only taking the best players he pretty much said, you, 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 and you, you're coming with me. The rest of you suck. I don't care what happens to you. All right. And Damn. he's like, we're going to Boston. So <clears throat> we're going to jump forward here to the mid-1870s. Okay. This is a little bit of a dark time in not just baseball, but gener- just generally the, the entire U.S. Corruption was running rampant. Yep. Uh, society was just greedy as hell, greedy as could be, and gambling and corruption, as you would imagine, ran wild in baseball as well. And you had players that were throwing games for profit. Um, Those bastards. This resulted uh, on, this is a very important date as a Braves fan, uh, and you was a Rockies fan there in the Mm -hmm. National League, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is an important date to anybody who's a fan of the National League. It just goes to show the American League sucks ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> February 2nd, 1876. 100 years after America was formed as a country. At the Grand Central Hotel in Manhattan. Manhattan. Club owners gathered and decided they were going to start what was known as the National League. Yeah. In order to remove corruption from the game. 
And um, right. um, let's see here. We've got that's why the the American League sucks ass because the National League has been around since eighteen seventy six. You know, the National League measly with his designated hitter. Get the hell out of here with that. <laughs> Get out of here. That designated hitter does not need to come to the National League. Anyway, um, William Hulbert, he owned the Chicago White Stockings, was the first National League president. Um, so one of the things that they decided, or some of the things they decided, like I said, it was to remove corruption from the game in a time when America was corrupt as hell. They, uh, Forbade players to drink or gamble. Oh. They said, no, y'all ain't doing that shit no more. Um, they decided they weren't going to play any games on Sunday. Okay. The Lord's Day. Christ be with you. Or is that what the Catholics say? Power, uh, power, power Christ compels you. No. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> I think that's an exorcism. Oh, well, whatever. It's all the same. Oh, we're going to hell. Yeah, it's like the guy in Uptown yells, Jesus saves. Uh, you'll know that if you're in Charlotte. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they set a standard ticket price of a whopping 50 cent. Wow, I think I could afford that. Yeah, me too. And Yeah, I'm not going to say where I work, but they don't pay a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. Uh they gave it gave power to the owners instead of the players. Oh. And this is huge, this next piece. Yeah, why? Uh just because that well, the next bit's the huge part. Okay. It added what's known as the reserve clause. The which reserve is, clause. Which is the biggest. I don't know if you came across that in your research at all. No, tell me about it. So the reserve clause is one of the biggest controversies in baseball history. Yeah. It took almost 100 years to get the reserve clause undone. Snap. Um, so what the reserve clause did was it allowed the owners to guarantee they could choose the five best players on their team and guarantee... Guarantee is not the right word. They could select the five best players on that team and force them into playing for them the next year. Okay. And it was a repetitive thing. So once you had them, so for instance, I'm the owner and you're my player, mm -hmm. you're going to play for me next year. When next year rolls around, you're going to play for me next year. When next year rolls around, you're going to play for me next year. Okay, but I I want to say no. I don't want to play for you anymore. You're a jackass. Actually, to be quite honest with you, at first the players loved it. They were like, oh. job security, bitches. <laughs> and I mean, if you really think about it, it's a great way to get people to or to get the players to try and do their best. You want to yeah. be one of those five for All the right. job security. Then shortly thereafter, they said, what? I can go make more money for him? I don't want to work for you. I want to work for him. <laughs> um, yeah, so the reserve clause sucked, and it literally took almost 100 years before it was finally abolished in baseball. So, like, we're talking 1970-something then. Uh, Sometime in, like, it, it was, yeah, it was like the 19... 60s to 80s wow. somewhere in there i don't remember the exact date and we'll we'll get to that on the next episode when we get a little further on in baseball mm -hmm. history we're going to divide this up into two 
two parts because maybe three even because it's so much history. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, as I said, it was the contracts of the best five players only. They could only play for the current team, and it guaranteed that they would play for the current team in the following season. Like I said, first players were happy and in a guaranteed job. This is the part that gets me, and it still kind of makes me wonder in the back of my mind about today's sports, not just baseball, but some of the other ones. All right. Is people that complained about this, the people that saw it for what it was at the beginning were fired and blacklisted and just not brought into baseball and i get it was a different time but my question is you know do do you think those things still go on in in sports today and and the the case that comes to mind is colin kaepernick oh yeah and 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 i'll be honest with you i don't think because obviously we live in a different time different different things to deal with in terms of media and presence and whatnot i don't think there's necessarily a blacklist against colin kaepernick i don't think all the owners have come together and said don't sign him keep him out of the league but i think each owner individually is like i don't want to deal with the headache he's gonna bring so to speak and so it 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 almost appears like a blacklisting but it's i don't know that's just my opinion i i would argue that there there is a blacklisting um Kaepernick is more trouble than he's worth. These people think. I would agree, um, but I don't think they're getting together collectively. You don't think so? As I don't, I don't think the owners. Maybe I'm naive, but I mean, if I was the owner of an NFL team, I would hate every other NFL owner. <laughs> I would oh. just be like, my team is gonna beat you. Fuck you. You're the enemy. If you want to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> yes, please. Um, if you want to sponsor us, email me and we'll take care of you. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. By the way, we don't have any social media or anything set up but we're working on it yeah we so will we will we'll, hopefully by the time this is uploaded that's yes, my goal is yes. to have that presence out there yeah so, so check um, the episode description for all that anyway episode. back back to yep. baseball uh this began an era where players became employees which has come a long way from a game that was the original league was started as amateur only mm-hmm. amateur only rich people you know the bankers and now it's a common man sport where Joe Schmo is getting paid to play mm-hmm. and locked into essentially a lifetime of ser- or a career of servitude to one team. Yeah. Louisville Grays in 1877. Okay. In the mid-1870s, like I said earlier, I'm sorry, I, I just lost my train of thought there. Uh, the corruption was running rampant yeah. in the game and in society. Well, flash forward to 1877. The Louisville Grays happened to lose seven games in a row. Mm, they and, happened to. And huh? in doing that, lost the pennant. Lost oh, the championship uh-huh. for that year. And an investigation was performed, and it was discovered Uh-oh. that gamblers... Oh, no. Gamblers had paid off four of the Louisville Gray players to throw Uh-oh. the season, including the best pitcher of that year. Oh, no. So, Disasters. Yeah. Those guys were, you know, oh shit, Pete Rosed. If oh. you don't know what that means, that means banned for life. Yeah, which it sounds like what they did was a little worse than old Petey. By the way, let's <laughs> let's pause the bus for a minute. <clears throat> we'll speaking speaking of old Pete Rose and cheating and whatnot in baseball, how do you feel about the Astros? Um, 
I don't I don't really have an opinion on the Astros. They're not they're not a team I follow. So. What about the scandal with them and the cheating? Uh I've heard talk about it um in one of my advanced classes and that's as much as I'll get into one of my advanced classes is a bunch of people that have baseball uh and they got into an entire hour discussion of talking about the Astros and baseball rather than doing what I was teaching so you know I need to come to this class it's it's Tuesdays at six for anybody that doesn't know (laughs) I actually can make that too for anybody that's you know, not a baseball fan currently and, and keeping up with it. This is, uh, there's a huge scandal, huge, huge scandal that's rocking baseball right now. What's going on? The Houston Astros won the World Series in 2017. Mm-hmm. And they also went back. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they went back this year anyway. Regardless, this all happened in 2017. Okay. Come to find out, there's they found video evidence of where the Astros were cheating. They were stealing signs, which stealing signs is there's if if you're a baseball fan you know about these, but there if you're not, there's the unwritten rules of baseball. And one of the unwritten rules is that if you're on second base as a runner, you know, you look in and you can see the catcher, the yeah. signs he's putting down for the pitcher, and you you may or may not try to relay those to the batter. Yeah, I mean that. That's that's. I can see that. Yeah, it's trying to cheat, but it's it's baby cheating. Like you're in yeah. the game, you know. Yeah. The Astros apparently had somebody inside their clubhouse watching a live broad. They had <gasps> the game live broadcast oh, inside no. their clubhouse, focused in on the catcher and his signs. Anytime that a an off-speed pitch, which is anything but a fastball, basically, is coming. They would yell up to the dugout, and somebody would smash on a trash can. Oh wow, that's some and sneaky so every shit. batter knew there was a. They were getting paranoid too, so they had a scout, and I'm air quoting this. They had a scout in the stands who was, you know, analyzing players and whatnot. He would relay what was coming down to the bullpen catcher and their bullpen had chain link fence. And so if the catcher was standing there with his arms up on the chain link fence, it was a fastball. If his arms were down, it was a curveball. So these motherfuckers were cheating so bad. And let me just say, let me just, uh, I'm going to throw this out there. And, and you know, if this podcast ever makes its way to where, Brian McCann, here's it. BMAC, you were one of my favorite players, dude. I hate that you're caught up in this, but I'm really disappointed, legitimately disappointed in the no comment description or answer you have to the question when asked if you were cheating or if they're cheating. That's that's a that's a rough blow, man. Yeah. You were, you were one of my favorite players. I watched you growing up, man, and and just to hear that, I, I'm I'm getting off my high horse here, but damn, that was rough. I lost a lot of respect in that. Mm. But anyway, they went on to win the World Series that year, and Pete Rose is banished from baseball, banished, banned from baseball for life for gambling on other games besides the ones he was playing in. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think the punishment fits the crime for him, and I definitely don't think the punishment fits the crime for the Astros. Uh, just because, and I get it, part of it's the players' union. We haven't seen any players get in trouble yet because they've got such a good union, which we'll get into later. Um, but we have seen several general managers and managers get fired that were yeah. associated with it. So good, good for that, but the players really really need to uh honestly they need to own up to it and yeah they shouldn't have done it like they got they got caught doing it they need to own up to their mistake i I think the worst part is is just the amount of careers that were altered i mean you know there was a former brave um, I think it was Chris Medlin, but don't hold me to that. I, I don't remember exactly who it was. That was pitching, and he gave up. It was something like five or six runs in an inning, and then ended up retiring shortly thereafter. Mm. Like I don't think he pitched in the majors again after that, and then he retired. Like that's people's careers. That's their livelihoods yeah. that you're fucking with. Just to. I get it. You want to win the championship. That's what you've worked the hardest, you know, you've worked all your life for. But. Yeah, but if you need a cheat to get there, are you really winning it? And that that's the thing, and that's that's part of my my issue with this whole thing and, and the unwritten rules on baseball. I've always been one that stood by the unwritten rules. Like, I was a hardcore unwritten rules, but you play the game the right way. Yeah. But with this, it's like maybe... Maybe the unwritten rules need to be written, and we just need to do do away with the unwritten rules, yeah. or we just need to do away with them completely. Because you know, it, it's this is just, this is just a sad, sad black spot on baseball's history. But I will admit it's entertaining as hell as a fan, <laughs> <laughs> just to just to see all the stuff that pops up on Reddit or Twitter or whatever social media you like. That's I analyze a hundred and. 43 or let's see they play 162 games so 81 games of Astros footage from 2017 and the trash can bang was 463,000 times it's just amazing to see the research that some of these people put into this but yeah anyway getting getting back to the history yeah all right we gonna uh Flash forward to uh, 1882. We're getting close to the end of the end of the 1800s here. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the National League formed, they uh, they left out a lot of the Midwestern teams. Um, I would imagine probably Chicago and several other. Well, actually, Chicago I think made it, but several other teams in the Midwest were left out. They got pissed. They said, fuck y'all. Yeah. We're going to form our own league. I would like to tell you this is where the American League formed because that's what I assumed in my notes, but I was wrong. Oh. It was actually called the American Association. Oh, the American Association. It is different from the American League. Okay. Um, And these guys were a little... Remember, the National League was very... Goody. Chivalrous. Yeah, well, goody two-shoes. They were very, no games on Sunday, we're going to charge 50 cents a game, no drinking, no gambling, no drugging, no whoring, etc. These guys were a little more more loose-tied. So, games were played on Sundays, for one. 
Oh. Uh, they sold beer and liquor oh, at the shoot. game. Oh, yeah. Oh, sinners. Uh, and uh, the games only costed 25 cents instead of 50. Oh. Half price games with beer and liquor every That's day of the week. That's what I'm going to. <laughs> Me too. Um, so it was uh, decided that the two leagues, the National League and the American Association, would play one another for the championship every year. Ooh. Um, let me skip because my notes are out of order here. <clears throat> then we'll flash forward. That was, let me flip back. It was 1882. That was 1882. We're going to mm-hmm. skip forward to 1890. Oh, we're almost at the end. Almost. <laughs> um, so we'll come back to this shortly. We're going to talk a little bit about John Montgomery Ward here. Um, but he helped form the Brotherhood of Professional Baseball Players, and that's baseball with a dash, not one word. Get it right, y'all. <laughs> uh, they formed their own league in 1890, trying to escape the reserve clause. They were pissed about that. Those, I told you it was going to take a long time for them to break it, but they tried. They tried several times to get rid of the reserve clause. All right. Uh, this created three main leagues in America, okay. uh, the National League, the American Association, and the Players League. Okay. Um, this sucked for everybody. Okay. <laughs> none, Why? Of, none of the leagues did well because they were trying to poach fans from one another and poach players from one another, and players were oh. going to the Players League, and they were trying to get bribed back by A.G. Spaulding, and, uh, who we'll talk about in just a minute. Um. And just attendance was down. The game sucked because you had the good players over there, and then they were over there, and then some of them were over there, and it just, you know, it just sucked. Yeah. Too much competition. Sometimes it it can ruin a good thing, which I, honestly, I don't believe that at all. (laughs) Oh. But anyway. uh, So all three leagues struggled, um, and... Essentially, they were all three on the brink of failing uh, financially. And A.G. Spaulding just, quite honestly, pulled it out of his ass. He bluffed the biggest bluff I've ever heard <laughs> and, and got the other, got the Players League to fall, fold. Um, actually, got the other, both both leagues to fold and absorbed them both and created wow. a monopoly, the National League reigned supreme again creating 12 teams inside of it all right so right about the uh turn of the century the national league just right as it was dying with its dying breath ate the players league and the american (laughs) association and lived it grew it it grew in i don't know three or four times as big as it was probably and next thing you know, you have the National League and 12 teams. Are you going to tell us what Spalding said, what he bluffed? Uh, I mean, it was pretty much just there was constant negotiations back and forth between the teams. And bo- all three leagues were um, pretty much on financial ruin. Their investors were like, uh, you're losing us money. Fuck you. And A.G. Spalding said... You bring my players back now to the Players League. And he pretty much pointed at the American Association and said, 
fuck you, you come here now, <laughs> you're dying, and I'm not. <laughs> and essentially, uh, he really just bluffed it. He had money to keep this battle going, and and the other two didn't, and so they folded into him, and it was a complete bluff because he was, uh, if I remember right, he was, like, extremely depressed and and really struggling in life because his passion for baseball was these three leagues were about to destroy baseball as as a sport. Yeah. And, and he made the bluff of, in my opinion, the bluff of baseball history and the bluff of the century. Could I don't know. Maybe there's a couple bluffs in the Civil War that may, <laughs> may, may be <laughs> up there as well. But, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, that's about where we're going we're gonna to wrap up on, uh, right. on the actual timeline. We got a couple folks we want to discuss real quick. All right. I'll let you uh, tell us about some of these folks if you want. I'll chime in with some key facts that I got. But, um, who do you want to start with? Um, so let's actually start with uh, Spalding. I think that's a beautiful place to start. Okay. Um, so one of the things I found most interesting was um, Henry Chadwick um, basically came out and said that baseball originated from British rounders. Um, and Spalding did not like that idea. He was like, no, 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 no. Wait, this is an American sport. It was born on American soil. British never touched this. And Chadwick was like, okay, I respect your opinion, but you're fucking wrong. And uh, they ended up hiring a commission um, led by Abraham Mills. He was the uh, fourth president of the baseball clubs of America. And um, Spalding, he claimed that baseball was 100% American and fitted on American soil. And this commission is actually where the myth of Abner Doubleday comes from, because the commission declared that Abner Doubleday, a Civil War hero, invented the game that we know today. Old Abner. Yeah. And uh, Abner Doubleday died 15 years um, before this, having never had any knowledge of baseball, never claimed any knowledge of it. And so this this myth came about basically to solidify that baseball is an American sport. It's That's kind of a if you really think about it, a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. Especially America being as for lack of a better term, young as it was. Yeah. I know it was almost a hundred years, but That's baby. Yeah, as far as nations go and it's this is ours. We made this. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has this. That's that's a huge. It's propaganda. It's, it, it is. It, it's patriot, patriot, patriotism, patriotism propaganda. Yeah. So I got a couple extra things about uh, old A.G. Spalding, and just to let you know, his name was uh, Albert Goodwill Spalding. That's why I call him A.G. Just to let you know, um, this is the exact same Spalding that's on your sporting equipment. This is that Spalding. All right. He started, I think it was Spalding Athletic Company or something like that. He made sporting goods, essentially. He said, originally, he started making just baseballs. He was okay. the baseball manufacturer 
Mr. Spaulding uh, inherited control of the Chicago White Stocking. Uh, I'm sorry, he inherited the White Stockings from William Holbert. And in doing, when when Mr. Holbert passed, he also inherited, uh, Spaulding inherited control of the National League. He started making his own mm-hmm. baseballs, and then next thing you know, as any good businessman would do, he had, started making uniforms and any bats and anything that would be associated with baseball. And then he even expanded into other sports later. Yep. Back in his uh, young days, prior to all this, he was a pitcher for the Red Stockings and the White Stockings. Once he inherited the White Stockings, he took them around the world. Not the country. The world. The world. The world. (laughs) Matter of fact, they even played a game of baseball in front of the pyramids and the sphinxes. Or the sphinx. But Spalding's efforts were vain. It didn't catch on. Well. It caught on in some of the Asian countries in Latin America, but I think that was a lot later. When Where he took it, it didn't catch on. So it remained just an American, kind of tying back into that patriotism, mm-hmm. this is an America-only thing. And I'm sure we'll talk more about old A.G. Spaulding next time because oh, I'm, yeah. he lived beyond 1900, I think. Don't hold me to that. Uh, Megan's going to look that up real quick. I'm pretty sure. Jamie, look that up. Jamie, look that up. <laughs> Do you listen to Joe Rogan? Yes. <laughs> okay. He lived until 1915. Okay, yeah. So we got um, we got 15 more years of old Spalding yeah, to talk and, about next time. And he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, he he done some good shit for baseball. Yeah, so he we'll, did some terrible shit too. But yes, he did. But we'll we'll talk more about him for sure. All right. <clears throat> so the next person I'd like to talk about. Did you have any other people you want to talk about? N- no. You no. Go, you go okay. On, tell me. Next one I'm going to talk about. As I mentioned earlier about Jackie Robinson. Uh, he broke the color barrier in baseball, but he was not the first African-American professional baseball player. That that honor goes to Moses Fleetwood Walker. Old Fleetwood. Fleetwood. No, nah, that wasn't his nickname. That was his real middle name. Oh, um, okay. I just like calling him Old Fleetwood. Anyway, uh, in 1884, he was the first African-American in the big leagues. Uh, he played for the Blue... Uh, the blue he played for the toledo ohio blue stockings he was a catcher mm-hmm. now this was a little bit of a controversy because uh, you had this other fellow we about to talk about named uh cap hansen mm-hmm. who was if i'm not mistaken and i'll correct this if i'm not shortly uh considered one of the best managers of all time and he was a player manager and he refused to take the field well, the black man playing on the opposite side. Um, there was also controversy on his own team because back in that, them days, there wasn't no white pitcher going to listen to a black catcher telling him what pitches to throw. So Ugh. that was uh, that was a little bit of a problem for old Fleetwood. Um, I don't even know if he likes being called old Fleetwood. If you don't, Mr. Walker, I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, until he tells me he doesn't, I'm going to call him old Fleetwood. <laughs> anyway, uh, his brother, Welday Walker. the power goes out, like, right now? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say something like that? I mean, I was going to play a dirty trick on you, like, right when you were coming over. I was going to, like, our power just went out. Oh, that would have been very sad. <laughs> yeah, and just to see what happened. Anyway, uh, his brother, Welday Walker, also played for Toledo for a little bit. But ultimately... The game was decided to, the owners decided to keep the game segregated because there was so much animosity between uh, certain players like Cap Anson and, 
and the black players. So some of these folks was racist as hell, y'all, which is another black spot on baseball's history. But at the same time, it's again, there's a lot of parallels between baseball and the country just because it it is such an American thing. You know, what the country was going through is reflected in baseball. So I can't say it's just a black spot in baseball's history. It's a black spot in America's history. And this is obviously the start of segregation and Jim Crow laws. uh, Apparently, it was more, and and I apologize, I just burped into the mic, but it was uh, Jim Crow in the South, segregation Mm -hmm. in the North. So, Um, but we're going to move on past old old Fleetwood there. He was. Marvelous. We got a. This feller was born in Truxton, New York, and loved baseball from an early age. Yeah. He's got a. Uh, there's a man by the name of John McGraw. He played third base for the Orioles in the 1890s. Uh, he's considered to be one of the best managers of all time. Surprisingly, not necessarily players, but managers. So, early in his childhood, I think he was about 13 or so when it happened, if I remember right. Some, I don't remember what disease it was, but some disease swept through his village or his town or whatever you want to call it and killed his mother and several of his brothers and sisters. I think Aww. I think he had, I think it was like eight brothers and sisters and four or five of them died from that. Wow. And, you know, this is this is the 1800s, late 1800s. Men didn't really do feelings back then, so to express his grief, his father beat the shit out of him. Oh, hey, you know. Yeah. That's... So... That's healthy. Let's do that again. Yeah. Oh, John uh, decided, uh, fuck you, I'm leaving. All right, good for him. At 12 years old, he ran away from home. 12 years old, he ran away from home. (laughs) Uh, And apparently he worked odd jobs, um... But never gave up on his love of baseball, apparently. So Aww. by the time he was 16, he played for the Olean New York professional team. And I just want to shout out to Olean. I got some friends that are from Olean. And so Jeff or Brady or Jordan, if any of y'all hear this, <laughs> shout out to where y'all from. Um, so he played for Olean New York. Um, one aspect of, of Mr. McGraw was his personality and his temperament. I I guess when you are beat by your father, you kind of turn into a little bit of a hothead yourself, a little bit of a hellion. I would think so. It's like defense mechanism. You, yeah, he was, uh, he was known as a hellion and a dirty player. He was just rough. He would spike people. He would start fights. And, Mm. uh, ironically, um, in 1894, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how this happens, and I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Maybe not on the stadium, but a fly buzzing around, and you'll see why I say not in the stadium in a second. But 1894, he got into a fight with Boston's third baseman as he's around the bases. The bench is clear into a typical baseball brawl. Next thing you know, <laughs> teams are fighting, fans are fighting. <laughs> It's chaos everywhere. Oh, it's soccer. Well, somebody lit the wooden stadium on fire. Oh, my God. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. They burned the whole oh, motherfucker shit. down and 170 surrounding buildings because oh, no. 
1894. Everything's made out of wood, so oh, all no, of it burned. Shit. Oh, shit. All because John McGraw decided to fight the Boston third baseman. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to drink a beer to you, John McGraw, right now. <laughs> God. He destroyed an entire town. That's that's greatness. <laughs> well, it's something. Maybe not greatness. <laughs> it's, it's definitely something. All right. So let's see here. He... Uh, so for nine consecutive seasons, old John batted 321 or higher, which for anybody that doesn't know baseball, that means that you take, hell, how do you calculate that? It would, batting average is the number of times out of 10, essentially. It's the percentage out of 10. So it would be 32.1% of the time he would get a hit, which is pretty freaking good considering... It, actually, that's one of the ironic things about baseball is you fail as a hitter. You fail, you know, two thirds of the time. If you yeah. if if you're not failing two thirds of the time, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. We have a stat called the Mendoza line, which is batting two hundred. Like that's you're successful one out of every five times you go to the plate. That's that's considered to be the. If you're below the Mendoza line, you're bad. And and baseball is unique in another aspect of the team on defense has the ball. It's the only sport like that. That's very that, interesting. Well, that, maybe cricket, but, you know. We don't only, count cricket. Yeah, the only major sport. This is America. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's John McGraw. Now, I mentioned he was on the Orioles in the, uh, the 1890s Orioles. That's important because there were several uh, – the 1890s Orioles was a hell of a dynasty team. They had some of the best players of the 1800s in that time period. Is um, this the same Orioles of today or totally different team now? That's a great question. <laughs> I have no I, I would I would say it's a different Orioles just because this is completely out of my ass, so don't take this as gospel. <laughs> but I would say it's different because the Orioles now are in the American League, and this is the National, National League. League. Yeah. Okay. So, I get your logic. I get it. That's where I'm coming from on that one. Anyway, so let's talk about old Willie Keeler. Willie Keeler. Yep. Oh, Willie. He also played, uh, uh, I might be wrong on this, but I'm, I don't have it in my notes, but I'm pretty sure I remember reading that he played for the Orioles for a little bit. I actually have the, in 1892, he joined the New York Giants. Um, but I'm pretty sure he also played for the Orioles during the 90s. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Wheelie, Wheelie, Willie Keeler. That's going to be really hard for me to say. Um, <laughs> damn dyslexia. He was five foot four, 140 Ooh. pounds. He was not really an athletic build. He was no, not he's necessarily. A tiny dude. Yeah, he's he's a short fella. He was not really built. Um, but he was. One of the most, I don't want to use the term influential, but creative hitters that the game has ever seen. Okay. Um, he is known for the quote, hit them where they ain't. Hit them where they ain't. And I'll go ahead and say this as well. He is responsible for a number of batting rules that are in place with regards to foul balls. Uh-oh. It was bef- it was Willie Keeler that got foul balls counted as strikes. 
Prior to him, they weren't a strike. He would just swing at everything and just tap it foul until he got what he wanted to hit. Well, shit. He's the reason that foul bunts can be counted as third strikes because I guess he would, once they said, well, we're going to make foul balls strikes unless you get third strikes in the wall, then I'll just bunt. I'll bunt it foul. (laughs) That's so fucked up. (laughs) He was such a creative hitter. He skated around the rules, so they they had to make rules for him. Um, Listen here, you motherfucker. (laughs) Pretty much. Just to put a little bit of perspective on this guy, though, in, in all seriousness, any baseball fan can relate to this. Any anybody that knows the history of baseball, Ted Williams, cons- who is considered by most people nowadays to be the greatest hitter of all time, considered Willie Keeler the best hitter of all time. Oh snap! That says a that lot. That says a lot. That says a ton, right there. Dang, looks tiny little five foot four dude. Um, now I do want to mention one more thing about the, uh, these Orioles, um, they were a little bit tricksters, not the right term, but they were, they were very innovative for the time. They would take, they developed the, um, I think it was called the Baltimore chop. I might be wrong on that, but they would, they would chop at the ball essentially when they're swinging and try to hit it down into the ground and make it bounce high in the air so that they could run to first base before the ball would come down to the fielder. Uh-huh. Which is brilliant. It's brilliant when you think about it. But other teams started thinking of ways to outdo that so they would wet down mm-hmm. home in front of home plate so the ball would just stick and the catcher could throw them out. So it's the 1890s baseball is coming into its own during this time. Yeah. It is, it's such a, so much tit for tat. I'm not cheating, but I'm not going to let you yeah. sneak around the rules either. <laughs> um, so let's, let's move on to a, somebody I mentioned a little bit earlier. And this is a very, a bit of a polarizing figure. Uh, Cap Anson. Uh, you might remember him from earlier mm-hmm. with old Moses, old Fleetwood. Yep. He, he was a very racist person, racist. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Anson. Um, he played for the Chicago White Stockings from 1876 until 1897. I believe he also played his last few seasons possibly for the same Orioles I was just mentioning, but don't hold me to that. All right. Uh, as I said, he was very racist, refused to take the field against black players. And matter of fact, uh, early on, uh, he was playing an exhibition game against, I don't remember what team it was, but they had a, uh, it might've been a, it might've been an all black team or it might've been a team with just a couple black players. And he refused to take the field until they told him he would forfeit his pay. And then he took the field. And that's Na- that's hey. Navia saying hello. She says, "Hey everybody, listen to my beautiful voice." Um. Anyway, so back to Mr. Anson. He played uh, for twenty to twenty-one seasons. I can't quite tell, depending on eighteen seventy-six to eighteen ninety-seven. Uh, no, I can't do math. That's that's almost thirty years. <laughs> Wait. No, that's twenty years. That's twenty-one years. Um, he hit over 300 for 20 seasons. Jesus. So almost his entire Christ. career, he hit over 300, which is amazing. That's impressive. Yeah. Like I said, polarizing figure. 
uh, he was one of the last player managers. So he actually played the game and managed. The last thing I've got jotted down on him is that he is thought to be the reason that the owners decided to keep the game segregated in the late 1800s. It's not wow. not necessarily just him, but the fact that his racism and there were other good players that were racist at the time. Because of that, the owners decided we're going to keep these guys happy because we don't want them leaving. They're too good mm. to leave. So we're going to keep the black folks separate, which, again, a black spot on American history and baseball history as well. And again, Cap Anson, polarizing figure. I don't really have much good, honestly. <laughs> I'm just looking back at my notes. <laughs> All he did was hit 300 for 20 seasons and, and play for the like, Yeah, pretty much. Oh, if you think he's an asshole, wait till we get to Ty Cobb. All right. Is that is that this week? That'll be, I think Ty Cobb played uh, early 1900s. Oh, cool. That'll be next episode. I'm excited to hear all about him. Oh, yeah. Ty Cobb is potentially one of the, if not the best player of the game ever, but he was the one of the meanest people mm. to ever play the game. Great. Yeah, he was, he was bad. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to mention briefly... Um, Michael, a.k.a. King Kelly, Michael King Kelly, he was he played from 1878 to 1893. Mm -hmm. uh, I um, oh, no, I was I was about to say he was one of the Orioles, too. But no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to call everybody an Oriole. You know, uh, you're an Oriole. I'm an Oriole. Bo's an Oriole. Navy is an Oriole. We're all Orioles. All right. Um. Cacaw. <laughs> uh, yes, I know that's not what an Oriole means. Anyway, uh, so he played for he uh, Michael King Kelly was one of the most popular players of his era. Uh, he played for the Chicago White Stockings up until his contract was sold to the Boston Bean Eaters. The Boston Bean Eaters. It was sold for ten thousand dollars. How and much money is that today? A fuck ton, because I don't know what year that was. Uh, so sometime in the late 1800s. Uh, that's probably, you know, a couple million, maybe a couple hundred million. Maybe not a hundred million, but that's probably on par for about what players make today. Anyway, um, old King Kelly is credited for uh, coming up with the hit and run play which for those of you that don't know is when you've got a man on first, you hit the ball and you have the player on first steal so that he essentially gets a head start. Um, but it's hard to, uh, hard to do because really? Yeah. Wow. So we just looked it up and $10,000 in 1890 is equivalent to 282 thousand three hundred eighty nine dollars and one cent in today 2020 in today's money so apparently not as much as nowhere near as much and again navia says hey so let's see we're talking about uh king kelly he hit he established the hit and run play and he also established the double steal which is so let's say you got a man mm -hmm. on first and second they both steal at the same time the catcher's like oh no wait, wait throw the ball <laughs> chief um Actually, you got to be a pretty dumb catcher to think that. But 
you know, somebody. Uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, maybe. Uh, so King Kelly hit over 300 for eight seasons. And ironically, well, not ironically, but interestingly, um, <clears throat> I just saw the word gramophone in my notes. So in the <laughs> 1890s, apparently they didn't have, you know, records or really, they, I, I don't know. I'm guessing they had <laughs> gramophones. Uh, there was a gramophone recording. Uh, in the 1890s, it was a song called Slide Kelly Slide about King Kelly. Oh, okay. So it was a hit record in the 1890s. So if you want, go look it up. I don't have it. I don't even know what a gramophone is. Oh, I'll try. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's that thing that was like a record player with a big freaking flower speaker. Do you know what the Grammys are? Those rewards? I'm, I've heard of them. I, don't, oh, I couldn't tell the, you. The oh. reward is a gramophone. Like what it looks like is great. Is that that big flower thing? Is that like yes. I'm thinking of the right thing? Okay, thing. yeah. Yeah. Um, I will. I will find Run Kelly Run, and I'll post it in the episode description when we uh, upload this. So. Nice. We're gonna have an episode description. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, here I was thinking we were just spitballing shit. Uh, all right, so we're gonna move on to the next. We got two more folks to make it through, and one brief mention. That we're going to kind of tease and also refer you somewhere else. Aye. Um, so, next fella we're going to mention is uh, John Montgomery Ward. Oh, I know him. Oh, yeah. Old Montgomery. Actually, I'm going to stop calling people by old and their middle name. <laughs> um, so, if you recall, I mentioned him a little bit earlier with uh, the Brotherhood of Professional Baseball Players, mm. which is essentially the first players union um going back to what i was saying earlier about the astros they've got such a baseball players have such a good baseball have such a good players union i cannot talk um it goes by i mean think about it these things have been going on for almost 200 years yeah it, it better be a good union yeah you would think um now in fairness it's evolved a little bit in in those times it's folded and reformed but anyway um John Montgomery Ward, in 1878, at 18 years old, led the NL, the National League, with a 1.51 ERA, which for anybody that's not a baseball fan, that is your runs. It stands for earned run average, and essentially what that is is the amount of runs you allow over a nine-inning stretch. Yes. So that says he allows one-and-a-half runs over nine innings, average it out. Um, in 1880, he was the second pitcher ever to throw a perfect game. If I was good at podcasting and looking shit up, I would tell you, I would know who the first person is. Um, but I don't, I've got the second. So <laughs> the, <laughs> the first episode of a podcast is always the worst. Oh yeah. So it's just going to be downhill. I mean, uphill from here. <laughs> um, uh, apparently Mr. Ward was very smart. He originally went to Penn State at the age of 13 until both his parents unexpectedly died and he had to drop out. Um, Shit. He did, however, earn a law degree from Columbia uh, in 1885 by attending law school in the offseason. Uh, and he also got a political science degree in 1886. Um, Damn. He is a smart dude. Yeah. 
1885, he also organized the first players union, the Brotherhood of Professional Baseball Players, as I stated earlier. All right. Um, he, again, just to summarize, you know, tie this back in, uh, that ultimately led to the creation of the Players League because they were trying to escape the reserve clause. He tried to fight it and was unsuccessful. Um, and we'll we'll get back into that a little more next week when we talk more about it and the yep. abolition of the reserve clause. It actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think it went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yeah, it was it was big shit. Yeah, it was big deal, very big deal. And I'm gonna mention one feller. In uh, while I'm talking about this next feller, um, so we're going to talk about Cy Young, who is any baseball player now is going to know that name. Because, any fan should know that yeah, name. Yeah, any. I, I'm sorry, what I say? Any baseball He's player? A baseball player. Well, any <laughs> baseball player or fans going to know who Cy Young is, or at least know the name. Um, Cy Young, the Cy Young Award is given every year to the. Air quotes, best pitcher in both the National and American Leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's named after Cy Young because he was one of the best pitchers ever to play the game. Um, ironically, his name didn't have Cy anywhere in it. Uh, his name was Denton True Young. He was born in Gilmore, Ohio. Um, he entered the majors in 1890 with the Cleveland Spiders. And in 1901, transferred to the St. Louis Cardinals. Throughout his career, he played for the... (laughs) I'm sorry, this one name gets me. He played for the Red Sox. uh, The Cleveland Naps. Are you okay? (laughs) And the Boston Rustlers. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. We've been talking a lot about some of these teams, and we got the Red Stockings, the White Stockings, the Knickerbockers. Why, why the hell they're naming each other after clothes? I don't know. <laughs> then you got these dumbasses in Louisville naming themselves after a color, the Grays. <laughs> then you got these morons in Boston. We're going to be the Bean Eaters. Uh, why not just call yourself the Boston Farters at that point? <laughs> just uh, what the hell is wrong? I- the Cleveland Naps. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? I don't know, but a nap sounds fantastic. So I mean, <laughs> all right, I'm back. Back to get off your soapbox. Back to Cy Young. Uh, he retired in 1911 uh, with the Boston Rustlers. Again, another stupid name. <laughs> um, he got the nickname Cyclone um, at a ma- uh, minor league tryout. Because he was throwing his fastball so hard, it was damaging the fences. Dear God. And they said it looked like a cyclone had hit the fence. All right. Well. And later the name was shortened to Cy. So, hence Cy, Cy Young. Young. Um, just to give, like I said, he's considered by many to be the greatest pitcher uh, in the history of baseball. The Cy Young Award is named in his honor. It's awarded every year to the best pitcher from the American League and the National League. Just to um, put that in perspective for you, I'm going to give you some of his career uh, major league records that stand to this day, as in nobody has ever broken them. 
And he retired in 1911, 1911. you said? 11. All right. <laughs> yes, I know we're going a little bit past 1900 with this guy, but he's worth it. He's worth it. He is. Uh, so most career wins with 511. Most career innings pitch with 7,356. Most games started, 815. The most complete games thrown at 749. And this one particularly blows my mind. 25 and a third consecutive innings pitched without giving up a hit. Oh, my God. Cy Young is by far... One of the best pitchers in baseball history. He is one of the And best. I notice, notice we say one of the best. Yes. I, and we're going to refer you to a different podcast called The Dollop. Yes. I couldn't tell you much about it beyond being called The Dollop because I have heard exactly one episode of their thing, <laughs> but I hear it's really great. It is. It's um, a very enter- entertaining uh but Podcast. they have an episode, I believe it's very early on. I think it's like I'm the twelfth, twelfth episode. Checking. Yeah, Megan, yes, it's number twelve. It's number twelve. It's called the Rube, R U B E. And let me just say, there is a another pitcher, and we'll touch on him because he pitched more in the nineteen hundreds than than the eighteen hundreds. So we'll touch on him next week. Oh. But his name is uh, Rube, Rube Waddell. He is my. favorite favorite player and in the history of baseball he is, he is insane <laughs> he's insane and he is considered to be almost if not better almost as good if not better than cy young yes he's just got a little bit of a complicated yeah, uh, his men- mental state yeah, i guess he's, he's uh, i would highly uh, recommend everybody go listen to that podcast because it, it is, is worth well it. worth it worth every second so definitely the dollop episode 12 the rube rube waddell is a fascinating creature just to just to give you a quick little bit of it i believe he spent his off seasons as an alligator wrestler. That's one of the things he did. One yeah. of the things um, <laughs> he was easily distracted by what and how. I'm not going to say. Oh, you have to go listen he, to it. It's so worth it. So um, good. And he had an obsession with fire trucks. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. You guys need to go listen to the podcast. It really is. Yes. And anybody from the dollop, you're welcome for that shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that. You're probably ever going to hear this. But, yeah, but, you know, just in you case. Know, just in case we blow up one day, you know. But anyway, that pretty much gets us to about uh, 1900. We'll, right. we'll pick up there and maybe maybe go till 1950, maybe further. We'll see where we end yeah. up next time, see what happens. Yeah, There's we'll a, lot of, a lot, lot of information. Oh, excuse me. That beer's coming back. A lot of baseball history between 1900 and, and today. A lot of eras and a lot of people yeah yeah for sure i think the people might be what really slows it down so we'll see what happens but um i think what our plan is is to uh, just kind of research some of the stuff that we're interested in mm-hmm. i know we had talked about doing and uh after we finish baseball maybe doing an episode on the different generations american generations mm-hmm. uh 
because we both found that kind of fascinating to talk about a little bit about what makes each generation unique, some of the challenges they face, what it's typical of the, of that generation as far as like socially and economically and just talk about some, you know, yeah, fucking, we're going to look it up. We want to know what it is and might as well share it. So exactly. Well, we'll share the interesting history of fun stuff. So we're going to see what keeps happening. Uh, we might change the name as of right now. We're jokers at the square table or of the square table or something like that. <laughs> I'm going to call all the people that's listening our jokers and that might change, but y'all jokers have fun, stay safe and we'll see you next time. All right. That sounds good. Bye guys. <laughs>